This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. You are now listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast network. For more information, visit voiceofsandiego.org slash podcasts. This podcast is sponsored in part by a proud supporter of Monarch Schools and Make-A-Wish San Diego. Monarch School educates students impacted by homelessness and helps them develop hope for a future with the necessary skills and experience for personal success. Make-A-Wish San Diego grants wishes to children with life-threatening medical conditions to enrich the human experience with hope, strength, and joy. To learn more about how you can get involved, please visit monarchschools.org and sandiego.wish.org. They came to me and said, you know, you're going to have to change how you're doing business. And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, you just, what you're doing is you have more control because you're you're training them, you're asking them to do things a certain way, teach the class a certain way, that sort of thing. That is not an independent contractor relationship. And so you really have to make a choice. Either make them employees or try the franchise. And I thought, well, that's a big decision. From Voice of San Diego, this is I Made It in San Diego, a podcast about the stories behind the region's businesses, the big and the small, and the people who made them what they are. I'm Sarah Libby. If you live in a city like San Diego and you want to stay fit, there's an embarrassment of riches when it comes to your options. You can hit up CrossFit or other booming franchises like Core Power, Barry's Boot Camp, Orange Theory Fitness. You could do yoga in the park. Your gym probably has a host of classes. You can even keep your tights and your Nikes on all day and still be considered stylish. That's how ingrained in our culture fitness and athleisure has become. But it wasn't always like this. At some point, group fitness classes were few and far between. If you did have a class that you liked, it was probably rooted in your neighborhood. And if you moved, you were out of luck. That began to change in the late 70s, thanks to Judy Shepard Missett, who was living in Oceanside and trying to make it as a theater actress and dancer. And she was teaching some fitness classes on the side. I had one woman in La Jolla at the Y who came up to me and said, well, what do you call this? And I said, well, I don't know. It's kind of like jazz exercise. And she said, yeah. She says you should call it Jazzercise. And I said, well, that's kind of a cool little name. That's a little slice from one of the many types of classes that Jazzercise offers now, an interval dance class. But before Jazzercise was Jazzercise, there was just Judy who picked up teaching some jazz dance classes as a side job while she was attending Northwestern University. At that time, jazz dance classes were taught for people who wanted to be professional jazz dancers. It was disciplined. It was difficult, you know. 
And so as I'm doing it, I noticed, first of all, that I had lots of women in the class. And second of all, that they didn't stay. They'd come, take a few classes, they'd be gone. And it just kind of bugged me a little bit. So I thought, you know, I'm going to talk to those gals and just see what's up. And they all said to me, well, Judy, you know what? We, we love the class. You're a good teacher. But you know, we do not want to become professional dancers. And that's how you're teaching the class. And it's just a little too hard and disciplined for us. And I said, well, what do you want to be? They said, well, we don't want to be professional dancers, but we do want to look like one. And that was the aha moment. Judy decided to make a few changes to the class that might sound really basic, but they ended up being revolutionary. She broke down the choreography and made it much simpler. And instead of having people do moves into a mirror, they faced her and just mimicked her movements, followed the leader style. Yeah, because as a dance class, you want to look at yourself in the mirror and look at your um, body positioning and all of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, you really uh, you really are focused on the mirror. But these people weren't so interested in that. In fact, some of them really didn't even want to look in the mirror at themselves, even when it was a dance class. And so... This gave them permission to just let the joy in their bodies out and not worry so much about whether they looked good or not, but just just enjoy the movement and the music and and the fun of it. And I really think that that's a huge part. It played a huge part then. It still today plays a huge part. And, you know, we're coming on almost 50 years. And um, so, you know, there's... It's a very simple premise, but it's very powerful. Yeah, so you moved to California, um, settled around Carlsbad, is that right? Uh, In Oceanside, Okay. yeah, to begin with. So did you know going into this move that this was something you wanted to continue as a business? No. Uh, Let me make this perfectly clear. I was not a business major. I had no intention of starting a business. This all was, I like to say, an evolution. Um, it, it wasn't because I had a plan. I never had a business plan. I never had a blueprint. I, I, had, I had nothing uh, except my passion. And when we moved here, I was not thinking that I would build a business. I was thinking, well, maybe I'll teach this class, but I was thinking, I'm going to continue working on my career, performing, going to LA, doing auditions, doing that kind of thing, which I did, and did shows there and did shows in San Diego and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, as I don't know, as, as luck would have it or karma or whatever, you know, the universe had something else in store for me. And I really believe in business that there are always signs, cues, messages, signals, whatever you want to call them, that tell you where to go next. And in your life as well, if you're aware of them. So I was doing a lot of performing, but I thought, well, I'll try teaching this class. You know, it'd be fun. And and so I started doing that. And I did it in uh, parks and recreation departments Mm -hmm. in Carlsbad in Oceanside. Um, And um, people really liked what I was doing. And the more I did it, the more they liked and more people called me 
to teach classes. And then first thing you know, I was teaching this uh, family fitness class and, at UCSD. That was a big program that they had on tap. And, um, you know, I, I made it a bit of a name for myself. And the more I taught, the more fun I had. And, and the more I saw people get healthier and enjoy what they were doing and, and enjoy their life more. You know, I felt like, gosh, I'm making a bit of a difference. I was teaching at the La Jolla YMCA and doing these big classes. There were like 100 people. And it, it just, you know, it, it certainly satisfied my ego, but it also satisfied a lot of other people. They were able to stick with this, which I had many... Uh, women in particular come up to me and say, I've never been able to stick with any fitness program before this, and I would never leave it. So tell me, you're teaching in these rec centers, you're teaching at the YMCA, um, classes and things like that. At what point did it go from, I'm teaching some of these classes to supplement my theater career to now this is jazzercise? Right. Well, I... um, was doing a lot of that teaching. And um, it. I had one woman in La Jolla at the Y who came up to me and said, well, what do you call this? And I said, well, I don't know. It's kind of like jazz exercise. And she said, yeah. She says, you should call it jazzercise. And I said, well, that's kind of a cool little name. And I thought, I think I'll register it. Now, Goodness knows why I thought that. I Because it wasn't still in the back of my mind it would be a business. Although I was doing well, you know, I was teaching, I was working my little patootie off. But is it such a word as that still today? I know. <laughs> but I was, I, I never still, I, I still was not thinking of it as a business. But I thought, no, you know, that's a pretty good idea. So I asked if anybody in my class in Oceanside had any knowledge of, uh, you know, how to copyright something. And this one woman stood up and came up after class and said, well, you know, I am a secretary to my husband who's an attorney and and I know how to do that, so I'll help you. And she did. And so we registered that name, and I think it was in 1972. And, you know, it was a good thing we did because there were, along the way, there have been people who have tried to use the name, and we always won those battles. But um, so, you know, that was, the, I guess, a, a, a step in making some business decisions. About five years go by after Judy decided to copyright the name Jazzercise. And things are still going well. The classes are popular, and she's teaching all around the county, from Oceanside to La Jolla. And women are sticking with the classes. And then something happens to Judy that really throws a wrench in things. She loses her voice. And not just a, I have strep throat, I need to speak quietly for a few days kind of thing. This was before group fitness classes were equipped with big sound systems and before instructors had cordless mics that helped them project across the room. Judy was teaching up to 30 classes a week, just shouting over the music. And suddenly, she couldn't do that anymore. And in a way, that changed everything. I developed nodules in my vocal cords, and that was about 1977. And... um, 
the the people, the doctors I went to said, well, you have to make a decision. Either quit doing as much as you're doing or get some help because it isn't going to get any better if you don't do that. And so I made that decision that, well, I don't want to quit. I'll try training some women. And so I picked five women that had been with me in class that had dance backgrounds and they kind of traveled around with me and took many different classes over the last five years. And I trained those five. And um, I'm also very organized. So I had all my choreography notes written. And the same woman who helped me do the copywriting also typed up all the notes and made copies for these women. And then what was great was that people liked them. And, you know, they called me up and said, oh, my gosh, I love Nikki. She was incredible. It's not you, but, you know, she was really good. And we'd love to have a teacher. If you have to stop, then this is a way to continue. And so there was another sign, you know, fix your voice, train people, have them help you. So that's what I continue to do because I continue to get phone calls and, and uh, you know, from folks who wanted classes in other parts of San Diego. So I, as uh, the need rose, I trained more people and most, well, all of them came from within my classes. Um, you know, they had dance background or they were really good at it. And so I did that for a time by myself, training as many as I could. Judy is a big believer in fate and the universe kind of dropping little hints about what direction you should take in life. And there were two big factors that came into play around this time that she thinks played a crucial role in shaping Jazzercise. The first is that she'd happened to settle in Oceanside, which is flanked by Camp Pendleton. And that means a lot of the folks she was teaching in her classes were part of military families. And military families eventually move away. The second thing is that right as she was beginning to train more instructors and have them fan out to teach classes across the community, VCRs and home video recorders were starting to flood the market. Judy happened to have studied broadcasting at Northwestern, and her husband worked in TV news. Now, thanks to the fact that San Diego is a military town, um, a lot of those women that I first trained were in some way associated with the military. They were either in the military or they had a significant other or in, involved in some other position. And of course they moved on, were transferred to other parts of the country. And when that happened, they didn't want to stop doing jazzercise. Well, I don't know how much dance background you have or any of the listeners have here, but let me tell you, it's very difficult to translate dance movements into the written word and then have them to be able to be translated into the movement. And so I was wary of that because how, you need a person. Yeah. That's how are you going to, mm-hmm. how, how are these people going to know what the new material is that I'm creating, which I was creating all the time, new music, new material, all of that, new choreography. Well, as luck would have it, the, another sign, and that was the fact that home video recorders were coming out on the market. And 
it was amazing because my husband had a background, well, so did I in radio TV. And, but, you know, he knew a little bit more about recording and about cameras and all of that. So we got a camera, we got a bunch of recorders, and we started videotaping my choreography in the backyard of our little rented house in Vista. And, um, and then we would ask the people who wanted to move to other parts of the country because they were being transferred if they would get a video recorder and then we would ship them videotapes. They were tapes at that time, not DVDs. And um, they could learn the new material from a one-on-one point of view because they'd have me to see so they could learn it that way. Around this time, things really began to take off. They were adding more and more instructors. They'd opened an office. And remember that woman who offered to help Judy get a copyright for the name Jazzercise? She was also helping type up Judy's choreography notes. Well, she eventually became the company's COO, although they didn't really know to call her that at the time. There was only a few of us in the office. And um, to distribute the material and business uh, things and that sort of thing. And eventually... uh, there were several women. Uh, I, I'm, I have to say, I am so blessed because throughout all of this, I have had incredible people around me, just amazing, wonderful people. And, and I always say when I give business lectures or, or uh, speeches that one of the key things is to have people around you, surround yourself with people who lift you up. These people have done that. And and there were several that came to me and said, you know, Judy, you need to get out of the training business and and let's form a team to train new instructors. And um, we can do traveling and we'll be all over the country and, and it'll make it easier for folks to become instructors. And so we did that. When we come back, the rapid expansion of Jazzercise across the country forces Judy to make a big decision about how the company will be structured. Hey, Kinsey here with a short sponsored interview brought to you by Downtown San Diego Partnership. Keith Jones is the managing principal and partner at Ace Parking, a company that's grown from a small San Diego family business into one of the nation's premier parking companies. So Keith, you take a lot of pride in being based here in San Diego. You know, as being a fourth-generation San Diegan, third-generation business owner, I'm grateful to be part of the fabric of the community. Uh, you know, we have over 2,300 different uh, employees and, and team members that we employ within the county of San Diego. And uh, I look at my job as being of service to both my team members and my employees and the customers that hire us and park with us. So I, I look at every day of how I can be a servant leader uh, for both my organization and both the city that I get to call home. Catch the rest of this sponsored interview with San Diego Downtown Partnership member Ace Parking at the end of the show. Hey, welcome back to I Made It in San Diego. I'm Sarah Libby. 
Jazzercise really began to explode in the early 1980s as new instructors were being trained across the country using Judy's videotaped choreography and instructions. But with growth usually comes some tension, and eventually the accountants and lawyers that Judy had hired as things were taking off told her she needed to make a big change as to the direction of the company. Up until then, all those outside instructors at locations across the state and country were independent contractors. As we began to grow, and and this was you know toward the end of the of the seventies, and we started the video thing about nineteen seventy nine, and then into eighties, I of course by this time had had to hire some attorneys and some accountants and that kind of thing to help out. And they came to me and said, you know, you're going to have to change how you're doing business. And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, you just, what you're doing is you have more control because you're, you're training them, you're asking them to do things a certain way, teach the class a certain way, that sort of thing. So um, that is not an independent contractor relationship. And so you really have to make a choice. Either make them employees or try the franchise situation. And you're not a true franchise, but you hit enough of the pigeonholes that you, you, you would qualify. And I thought, well, that's a big decision. But it really wasn't hard for me to make because I'd never intended to make these women employees because I loved the idea that they thought of their classes as their own business. And that's what I wanted to perpetuate. And so I thought, well, then the franchise is the only way to go. They'll become franchisees. They'll have an ownership in the business. But I still will have a certain control over the intellectual property, the creativity, and that sort of thing. So that's what we did in the early 80s. We uh registered as a franchise and switched all of those uh, instructors who were independent contractors into franchisees. So so when me and my mom were doing Jazzercise in McMinnville, Oregon, yes. um, <laughs> you had a role in that because you're still in charge of uh, coming up with routines and choreography. Is right. that right? Right. So that's all coming from you still. Right. Um, but then the the actual how it's operated and and where we worked out and stuff, that's all up to the franchisee. Correct. They they had a lot of uh, a lot of choices. You know, the facilities in which they could teach, the um, time slots and even with a franchise, even the pricing, because you can't dictate a price structure. You can recommend, and most franchises follow your recommendations. But it's just like McDonald's. I have a favorite one in Vista that I go to and get an extra small Dr. Pepper with extra ice, and it's a dollar eight. I go to another one, and it's 85 cents. So, you know, there's a little leeway there.
The decision to pivot to franchises instead of using independent contractors was huge for Jazzercise. There are now more than 8,000 Jazzercise franchises in 32 countries across the world. Together, they teach 32,000 classes a week. Independent business owners pay an initial franchise fee of $1,250 to become certified as instructors, and they get marketing and administrative support after that. And they get a steady stream of choreographed routines throughout the year. Now, I'm going to pause here for a second. I think it's fair to say that Judy is the world's foremost jazzercise expert. You know, she founded the company. She's still the CEO. She still teaches classes. She creates the choreography. But I'm going to go ahead and say that we were also able to speak with maybe the world's second biggest jazzercise expert. And that is my mom, Shirley. Hi. Hi, Mom. How's it going? Pretty good. Can you hear me? Uh-huh. Can you hear me? So yeah. you heard me mention to Judy that I went to jazzercise classes with my mom back in McMinnville, Oregon, while I was growing up. My mom is still going to those classes at the McMinnville Community Center. Shout out to the Community Center. Shout out to Lisa, my mom's longtime jazzercise instructor. Uh, my mom's been going there for more than 30 years after she first started. So, Mom, first of all, tell me, how long have you been doing jazzercise? Uh, about 35 and a half years. Wow. And you go like three times a week, right? Three times a week, uh-huh. That's a lot of jazzercise. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that you would probably think of yourself as a very sporty or athletic person. But not generally, <laughs> no. I'm I'm active, but certainly not athletic. But you've been doing these workouts three times a week for over 30 years. So what do you think it is about jazzercise that made you stick with it? Um, because it's fun and I feel like I'm doing something good for my body. And I really enjoy the social aspect of it because lots of other people in the class have been doing it that long, too. And so we do fun things together. Yeah, that was the I, other thing I wanted to ask you about is that you've like gone to your Jazzercise instructor's wedding. You've gone on vacation mm -hmm. with people from Jazzercise. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. just talk about what Jazzercise has meant to you beyond just being fit. Well, Jack, exactly what you said. We're kind of like a family and we the whole class will go out for dinner about every three months. And and I have done uh lots of things with people. I've gone, I've gone, uh, to Croatia with a friend from Jazzercise. I've go to, I've gone to concerts with folks from Jazzercise. I've, uh, and like you said, gone to my instructor's wedding and shower and we've been through her mother's death and her mother used to come to class. So we all loved her and it's kind of like a family. The other thing I love about it is you feel like you're dancing. And you feel like you're in with all the latest music and stuff that I wouldn't normally hear. So it's just, it's just really fun. Cool. Well. And it's good not just for physical fitness, but I initially started going because of depression. And I, so one of the pieces of advice I got was that physical activity was good for getting rid of depression. And so it's just so, so many reasons why I love it. 
So this brings me back to Judy. There were times when I actually went to jazzercise class with my mom and did the routines. I definitely had an amazing Minnie Mouse leotard, by the way. I just want you all to know that. But other times I went and I would take a tumbling class downstairs or do some other little activity with the other kids whose moms were in class. The point is, my mom was free to take her class and she didn't have to worry about what I was doing during that hour. So, Jazzercise really was pioneering in a lot of ways and in one way that that's true is that it offered childcare for many of its right. classes. Mm-hmm. Was that something that originated with you and, and how was that decision made? Yeah. Um, oh yes. I always felt that that was important. Um, I had by then my daughter and she came with me to all my classes. Um, and, uh, you know, when she wasn't in school and so, I knew that childcare was really important, and a lot of places didn't didn't offer it. Some of the Ys uh, uh, did offer it, um, but limited. So I thought, no, we, we need to always have childcare, especially for the morning classes. And so uh, I had a sister-in-law who lived here, and she started taking class. And I said, well, would you like to come along and babysit for me and then other classes you can take you know that don't need babysitting and she said sure so I had a little yellow Honda a little hatchback they don't even make them anymore but anyway I remember just loading tons of kid toys in the back of the Honda balls and cars and trucks and dolls and all of that and so everywhere I taught I would get out of the car, drag my music sound system and set that up, and then take all the toys out. We'd find a spot. Sometimes it was the lobby of a, of a community center and bring the toys out. My sister-in-law would babysit and people would come and be able to leave their child there for 50 cents or something. Prices have gone up, folks, but then it was 50 cents. And... Um, and take class and and not have to worry about their their little one. And I think that was really, really important. It's important today. Um, Now in a lot of our, well, our two corporate-owned facilities in Carlsbad and in Oceanside, we have uh, childcare and all kinds of kids all the time, you know. Um, It's just something that I think women need and they need to know that they can come and do these things and just take an hour for themselves just an hour if that you know if they don't get any more time for themselves all the rest of the day they get that and it's it's cool as i was researching jazzercise for this podcast i came across this great segment on it from a new zealand newscast in 1981 It's mostly just explaining what Jazzercise is and how it's been brought over from America and is getting really popular. The disco beat of Jazzercise spells rhythm, fun, and money. But one thing that caught my attention was this fixation on the instructors. Just as losing weight can cost you money, now youth, beauty, and fitness are all within the reach of your purse. And this is what your money's buying. 
Instructor Jackie Bull and her friend at the front of the class are living examples of the body beautiful. A fancy leotard, some makeup and jewelry, and you too can jazz the fat away. So that clip stayed in my mind, especially as I read about a lawsuit filed against Jazzercise that focused on the instructors and what was required of them by the company. It turns out that up until this lawsuit in 2002, Jazzercise actually had policies in place requiring the instructors to look a certain way. They had to look leaner than the average person with a high muscle-to-fat ratio. And one woman in San Francisco said that she was fit, she worked out every day, and she met all the other requirements to become a Jazzercise instructor, but was turned away because she weighed over 200 pounds. San Francisco had a relatively new law on its books at the time aimed at preventing discrimination based on a person's appearance. So Jazzercise, like you just said, has been celebrated for uplifting women in a lot of ways. Uh, it's a woman-owned company. There's childcare in classes, and there's you know opportunities for working moms to take some time for themselves. Um, but I want to talk about a case um, where one woman... At least one woman said she sort of felt excluded in a way and forced a big change within Jazzercise in the early 2000s. And that was a woman in San Francisco who wanted to be an instructor um, and was told that, you know, she weighed too much. Mm -hmm. And so eventually, because of some laws that were in place in San Francisco, uh, you guys were in talks with her and it eventually forced a policy change within Jazzercise. So can you talk a little bit first about what the thinking was behind this policy that said women had to be, is it fit or was it a certain way or? Yeah, well, it was about looking fit. It was about being a role model uh, when you're on stage teaching. It is important, we thought, to have someone up there who was a role model so that women who came to class could feel like, gosh, this is somebody I would really like to, to look like, that she's fit and, uh, and able to execute the moves sufficiently to teach them. Because as an instructor, you have to do much more than the person who is a customer. You know, you really have to put out, you have to go 10 times harder than they do in order to get the customer to do the level they need to be at. And so that was the that was the premise. Had any issues come up prior to this no, complaint? No, nothing. This was the first time. Yeah, yeah. And, and she was a great gal. And, and, you know, the whole thing ended to be very uh, amicable. Um, Did you ever meet with her? I did not personally, but uh, several of our district managers and and uh, others who were in that area did. Um, I think what we learned from that was that everybody has a right to be fit. And um, maybe not everybody is going to be a really good instructor, um, but they all have a right to try. And uh, I, I think that that's the main thing that we learned and to, to let, that, let the cards fall where they may. If they're capable and they're fit and they can pass a test that allows them to do the things that we need them to do to teach a, a, a class, then, hey, go for it. And, um, you know, it, it, was, it was a good lesson. And it all came out perfectly. Um, and I, I'm not sure that she ever became an instructor. 
but she had the opportunity to. And, and you know, I, I think that it's, it was a really good thing because I think we do look at the magazine shots and we look at the, the, the models and, uh, and young girls look at those people and think that's what they have to be like. And they don't. They can be, but they need to be healthy and they need to have a level of fitness and that'll help them in everyday life and in everything that they do. But they don't have to be 5'10 and weigh 100 pounds, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and so I think it was good because it helped change our attitude, although we always believe that. Um, but I think it helped us know that it's okay if someone is, is heavier as long as they're fit, as long as they're healthy. And they have a certain clientele in a certain market as well. And it opens up the market to other folks that might not try you otherwise. So that was maybe an evolution for the company that wasn't entirely voluntary, at least at first. Yeah. Um, But over the last five or 10 years, it seems like you guys have driven a lot of changes internally. There's an app, there's a new logo, there are even new classes. Um, yep. So can you talk about this this campaign? Um, you think you know us, but you don't. And, and what was happening within the company that sort of led you guys to say, maybe we need to rethink things? Yeah, no, I'd love to talk about that. Um, you know, uh, the interesting thing is as Jazzercise evolved and sort of we really were very disruptive and we were as you said a pioneer in the fitness industry there really wasn't an industry before us and and a few other people like Jack LaLanne Jackie Sorensen who did aerobic dancing that kind of thing um and so we were that pioneer sometimes when you're a pioneer you develop a little stigma (laughs) um because people say to themselves gosh they were a big hit. We remember when, back in the 80s, and are they still around? What What's going on? And, of course, we, we are still around. And every decade, there's been some big changes that we've had to go through. Um, of course, the 80s was a decade of firsts, all kinds of firsts. The 90s, we changed our business plans a little bit, and um, that continued to help us to recruit new instructors and to keep some some of the veterans as well um and uh again in the 2000 that first decade it was a lot of different business changes and since then what we have found is we there's a stigma because we're still around and we're still very vital um but people aren't sure exactly what we are. <laughs> and are we still the same thing we were in the 80s? Well, the philosophy is still the same, that there should be a joy. And and uh, when you dance, when you move, we're still dance-based. But um, we wouldn't still be here, you know, Sarah, if... We hadn't changed through those decades. You have to change in order to grow. And I love change. I love doing things differently. And so that's always been my premise. And that is why we're still here. So did you bring in outside help to help create this rebrand? 
Did you work with marketing companies and things like that? We did. We worked with the, well, yes, we worked with the marketing company, um, doing some focus groups and uh, working on graphics and, and that sort of thing. So we, we could get that sort of cutting edge look. But we're always, we, I said before, and I'll say it again, I have so many wonderful people surrounding me. Um, and so we have many good people who are in-house who worked with the marketing company. Um, and we did a lot of it on our own as well. Uh, and uh, I'm really proud of it. It's, it's good. And now we're just really cooking. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, we have an initiative this year called Girl Force, which is uh, we're letting girls 15 to 21 come to any class, any time for free all year long because uh, we feel like it's an important effort to make uh, to let young girls know that you can have fun, you can be fit, you can have camaraderie and develop a bit of esprit de corps with other folks and other ages too because they come right into all of our regular classes. And it's been so much fun because... um, they give us new life, you know, those young women. And our regular customers love it. The kids love it because they have fun kind of showing off. Although there are times when our regular customers can really outdance those younger younger ones. You know, they need to get a little... That's why we're doing it. We want them to be fit. We want them to know healthy is a good thing. Here we go. Yeah, I got to strut your stuff. That's good. You take it out, Dad. In, aha. All right, I do it again. That's nice. Thanks for listening to I Made It in San Diego. I wrote the show, Kinsey Moreland edited, and Adam Greenfield mastered and mixed it. All right, all right. Oh, yeah. Again now, baby, do it. You got to do it with us, yeah. Now back to the San Diego Downtown Partnership sponsored interview with Keith of Ace Parking. You take customer service seriously. I have heard you've been known to answer client emails at 3 a.m. You know, I believe uh, strongly that uh, if you're going to be a privately uh, run organization that you take pride in and that uh, you live and breathe, then it's a 24-7 business. And so the type of emails or correspondence that I'm responding to are everything from a customer asking about, uh, you know, how do I engage with this type of parking facility in terms of making a reservation? Or uh, I was always taught by my grandfather, and I think this was a, a, a a Navy thing that, hey, if no matter even if it's 630 on a Friday evening and a client calls or emails you, you need to respond that evening. It's not okay for it to wait to the next day or or later because they're trusting you. They're trusting um, they're trusting to work with you. And so that's just another uh, core value that uh, that I believe is runs true and I think is is part of that San Diego uh, mentality about both being a community mind base but showing our true might of being a uh, living on the international stage. So Keith, speaking of being community minded, what sort of social programs or issues is your company most interested in? 
Well, being from San Diego and uh, having a, a business of the size and scope of Ace Parking, uh, you know, I, I believe strongly that great corporations uh, make an impact in the communities they do business in. And so one of the things that touched uh, my family, as it's touched so many within not just the Ace Parking community, but but San Diego and the global community, is, is cancer. And so after an experience that my family had with cancer and working through that, uh, we at Ace Parking created an initiative that every October October, we actually turn our blue signs around town pink, and uh, we call it our Park for Pink campaign. And each October, we take a, a good portion of our parking proceeds and then partner with various community organizations to both help uh, financially and and promote their good doing through our Park for Pink campaign. So last year, we connected with the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, LLS of San Diego, and partnered there with both Scripps Hospital the year before. Uh, in 2017, looks like we're going to partner with uh, Pedal for the Cause, Padres Pedal for the Cause. And your office is close by. It's downtown here in San Diego, and you've always been located downtown. And obviously, parking lots are part of the urban design. So what do you think makes a vibrant, exciting downtown? One of the reasons that Ace Parking has called downtown San Diego its corporate headquarters for almost 70 years is that we believe strongly that great cities, great counties, great uh, communities have strong, vibrant downtowns. And uh, in order to be part of a strong, vibrant downtown uh, and parlay that into a strong, vibrant business, you need to have boots on the ground and be part of that and activating that downtown. And so us being downtown and integrating in with the community with which our customers are, uh, I think is a, gives us a strong understanding and advantage of what our customers and consumers want out of us. Uh, I believe great communities and great downtowns are activated. They find different ways to activate based upon the time of day, whether it be a Monday through Friday morning, more business ritual to an evening time of, uh, you know, a consumer coming down and enjoying different experiences, or whether they be in our market, you know, a, a consumer trade show and how the, sh- how the downtown community shows. It's evident that we have a homeless epidemic going on. And so instead of turning a, my blind eye and saying, well, it's now it's time to uh, get my my team members and employees into a safer environment, let's move out of downtown. I'm actually saying, how can we double down? How can we be involved in this? And how can we help a neighbor helping neighbor and be part of a solution? And so while the community and everyone's talking about affordable housing solutions that is awesome and is needed, but the fact of the matter, if you're homeless and you're destitute, you don't even have money for affordable housing. And so how are we changing that conversation to say, how do we triage the situation so that we can get people off of the streets and into emergency shelters so you can have both that approach as well as the approach of affordable housing. And so uh, I believe of being a San Diego-based company and having the opportunity to be part of the community, then it's my responsibility to be part of a leader in the community and help understand and build solutions towards solving these problems together with the various factions that can have real-world impacts. The Downtown San Diego Partnership is a leading advocate for the economic vitality and growth of Downtown San Diego. The Downtown Partnership's many members are committed to creating a vital and vibrant urban center that benefits the entire San Diego region. Visit downtownsandiego.org for more information on its programs or call 619-234-0201 to learn about the many benefits of becoming a member.
The show you just heard was part of the Voice of San Diego podcast network. To hear other great shows like the Voice of San Diego podcast, I Made It in San Diego, a show all about the people behind the region's businesses, the award-winning Culture Cast, the Kept Faith, a San Diego sports show, and more, please visit voiceofsandiego.org slash podcasts. If you'd like to sponsor any of the podcasts, please email Aaron at voiceofsandiego.org. That's E-R-I-N at V-O-S-D dot org.